Welcome to episode 130 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Hannah Green, Worldwide Power and Utilities Leader at Microsoft. Hannah works alongside Microsoft's partners, customers, Fortune 500 executives, and policymakers to accelerate investment to enable a more resilient, decarbonized, secure, and affordable energy grid. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Hannah is an energy and technology executive with over 15 years of leadership experience in strategic planning, operations, marketing, partnerships, and business development. She's worked closely with federal agencies, governments, utilities, and CNI clients worldwide to develop, fund, and execute renewable energy and grid resilience and security projects. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Hannah Green, Worldwide Power and Utilities Leader at Microsoft. Hannah, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thanks, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So we met in a very interesting way. You basically, and you did it way better than I ever did it, but you took over my job at Semper when I left. Yes? Yeah, I had the opportunity to to come in and join the PICE team, a, a group within Sempra developing innovative control software. And you and I share a passion for smart grid and the integration of distributed and electric vehicles to the grid. And I had uh, really the, the opportunity to join our, our mutual friend, Patrick Lee, in helping to grow and accelerate that company. And I I benefited from the, the groundwork that, that, that you laid and got to work with Patrick and that team uh, to really grow an innovative company. And they got bought, right? We grew it really exponentially over a quick series of years, continued to grow and deploy global projects during COVID, which truly is one of probably the, the defining experiences of, of my career. And then they were able to sell the company to Yokogawa. And so PICE, P-X-I-S-E, is now a Yokogawa company, but still doing really, I would say, leading edge work of renewable energy, distributed energy integration for controls and derms. Yeah, I really love the way they manipulate phase angles. I didn't know any of that before I started, and it really helped my education and understanding how energy really works. So I'm very thankful for that experience. I am too. And truly one of the highlights of my career, not just because of the the impact of the, the company, which is quite high, but the people. What yeah. a phenomenal group of people to learn with and grow with. And to me, there's really no experience like building a business and taking it out into the world. It's a very personal experience. And, and to go on that journey with somebody I admire as much as Patrick Lee was a privilege. Yeah, you remind me that I owe Beth a text. Over <laughs> we all owe Beth a text. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned that we both share a lot of passions, and one of them is for climate change mitigation. Can you talk about your motivating moment? Why do you have this passion? How did it form? 
at the end of the day, I think so much of what defines our personal stories is is rooted in where we're from and, and uh, that growing up experience. And for me, I, I grew up in Kansas and grew up for a number of years on a, on a farm in a, in a rural part of Kansas outside of Wichita. And so I was always in nature, running, running around on, uh, on acres in nature, riding horses. I come from a family that's outdoorsy. And so there, there was always that element of being in nature, being in the outdoors, whether hiking in Colorado or, or being on a farm in Kansas. So I, I always had some element of caring about the environment from a very, very young age. I was sort of the, the third grader with the science projects about protecting the, the animals. But the defining moment for me, I, I did go to college where I studied environmental and climate policy, and I knew I would go into a field focused on you know, that broad umbrella of sustainability and climate. But the aha around energy was when I was studying and working in Cameroon. I was there doing research on, at the time, the path I thought my career would take, which was sustainable agriculture and sustainable economic development. But, you know, it was seeing the the impact of the pipelines and of uh, some of the oil investments in Cameroon and that impact on people for good and for bad. It's complex. Energy is always complex. It brought wealth to some. It brought pollution. It created new haves and have-nots in in a community that had not previously experienced that much infrastructure development, international infrastructure development as well. And you could look at that and see, well, this fuel, this oil that's on this pipeline is absolutely essential for our global economy. And it's created a lot of wealth for some in this otherwise largely impoverished area, but it brought problems and it brought challenges. And that just lit my mind up, Lee. I came home from Cameroon and and really doubled down on energy. I like complex systems. I like complex problems. A lot of my studies and interests are rooted in economics and the, the impact of economics and innovation on people. And there's really no better place to be than in energy if you care about service to others, people. <laughs> and making an impact on on climate change. When I first joined the energy industry, I was totally unaware of that. It was just a job, but I think it's really changed for everybody. I think a lot of people in the energy industry were just doing a job. And now we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis for the planet. And we have the opportunity to actually do something about it in this industry. It's pretty exciting. It's completely exciting. And I really, I see it as a privilege to have a calling. This for me is a calling. And I've had a lot of different jobs in, in energy throughout my career. I've been a consultant, worked in policy, I've led regulatory teams, I've led startups, I've led innovation, and, and now I get to um, help lead and grow in innovation and a business within a big tech company, all focused around decarbonization. But for me, the through thread in all of those jobs is the North Star for me, and it's always around grid decarbonization, coupled with resilience, reliability, security of the grid and energy access. And I think it's it's probably that pairing of a deep passion and calling around climate change, but a very realist sense uh, from where I've grown up and where I've traveled and where I've lived that if we don't figure out how to decarbonize the grid while still ensuring the security of our national infrastructure and the affordability of and access to energy, then we've failed, right? It, the, these, these tenants have to move together 
or we or we're studying for the wrong test right and we have the tools which is fantastic i think the tools are really there and the understanding is there we can do this absolutely absolutely and that's uh that's another factor that drives my career too as much as i get excited about innovation and see energy as i think the most fruitful part of our economy for innovation today i think the big innovation is taking the capabilities we already have and delivering them at scale into the market when you said decarbonize the grid i couldn't help but think of the gridwise alliance I've been on the board for nine years. This is my last year because I already went one over what you're supposed to be allowed. But I know that you were instrumental in having Microsoft join the Gridwise Alliance. I was pretty excited to hear about that. Well, I, I'm benefiting from a growing commitment that Microsoft and our teams are making to the energy sector and the power and utility sector. And we, of course, are very excited about the great work that uh, Gridwise is, is doing. I'll give a shout out to Karen Wayland for her tremendous leadership. And she's awesome. To you, Lee, and, and all the others who have built Gridwise and, and brought it into the organization it is today. So we're really uh, excited to be members. And, you know, as I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting about more with you, Microsoft touches a lot of different pieces of the energy economy. And so for, for us, being a part of Gridwise helps us to learn as a company, to connect with the industry, and then really to show up as a technology partner to the industry. Yes. Why don't you jump into that? Let's talk about Microsoft and what you and Microsoft are doing to help mitigate climate change. Sure. I want to give a few flavors of answer to that because, and this is something I experienced, I've been at Microsoft a bit over a year and a half now. And when you when you look at the whole elephant, Microsoft is a really big company. You see a lot of different pieces of how Microsoft is engaged in energy and how Microsoft is engaged in climate. And so I want to give a few perspectives. I want to start with the perspective of what's really even the role of tech and of a hyperscale global cloud provider and technology and platforms provider in this grid decarbonization project that we're all a part of. And start there, and then I'd love to pivot and talk more about, you know, what's the impact that Microsoft is making as a climate and carbon leader, because we are, we are doing both. We are absolutely doing both. But the first, you know, what, what's a tech company doing in this space and how do we show up? When I look at the challenge and the change that's taking place in power and utilities today, you know, we see that the grid is operating differently. And for us to achieve our carbon goals, uh, we need to scale the presence of electric vehicle charging, rooftop solar, and battery storage. And as we scale those capabilities, as well as just larger scale renewable energy assets, we are fundamentally changing the physics of the grid. We are changing the way that the grid operates, and we need new tools to operate and integrate this more real-time, distributed, variable grid while maintaining those core tenants I laid out before of reliability, resilience, affordability, and, and safety. And so to get there, you know, to unlock that grid flexibility, to ensure that all of these assets are being orchestrated to reduce carbon emissions, and to really operate in a, in a real-time environment that helps us to mitigate for the intermittency of different assets and work across a more distributed and nodal grid, we know that large-scale grid orchestration has to be powered by cloud computing, AI, and IoT in real-time. And I'll, I'll boil that down a bit to say we're moving from a one-way flow-based, gravity flow-based 
slow human in the loop system where we run really big power plants, you know, big machines slowly with humans watching them in the loop to a leap ahead environment where we're running hundreds of thousands of endpoints driven by compute and edge analytics in real time. And we can't operate a grid at that speed and at that scale in three and four second delays. We have to operate it truly in a, in a real time, high speed environment to orchestrate effectively. To operate this new grid, we have to enable a transition to high performance computing, to automation uh, within the utilities sector. And that's uh, been a, a big driving factor in, in my career, you know, over, I would say, at least the last eight, nine, nine years. And, you know, from Microsoft's perspective, we show up in this industry as a partner to our power and utilities customers, as a partner to the leading grid controls companies that we work with. And what we bring to the table is global scale and capabilities in cloud computing, the leading enterprise platforms that help run businesses, capabilities, global leadership in data and AI, and of course, security. If you took away everything else Microsoft did, we'd be a $15 billion a year cybersecurity giant, and security is wrapped around absolutely everything that we do. When I got to know the Microsoft team and to see the capabilities that Microsoft could bring to the table in power and utilities, it got me very excited because we need technology. I think of myself as a grid person at a tech company and, and being somebody who bridges the space between these two sectors. And my role is, is getting to help Microsoft show up as a technology partner to our power and utilities leaders, bring those capabilities that we have to bear in the sector so that we can accelerate and move forward together. I draw that out because there are some who think that tech is going to come in and save the day or that tech is going to come in and disrupt the sector. And, you know, it's, it's perhaps my bias having worked alongside and with utilities for so long, but I think utility leadership and the embedded depth of expertise that utilities have in grid operations is core to our success. And so what gets me excited is how do we show up as a partner to those utility experts, not as a disruptor. I think there are a lot of utility executives out there that understand they hold the future in their hands. They can help us get past the crisis that we're in. And many also don't know. So my hope is that Microsoft is also helping to educate, number one, this is a problem, but number two, that there are solutions and that Microsoft can help. Others can help too, of course, but Microsoft certainly is a leader. Absolutely. And I, I always think about it from this point of view of, of empathy. I really mean that. I feel tremendous empathy for our industry leaders and the challenge that we've put forth to them, which is we want you to uphold the core tenets of the utility compact and, and business model. We, we require of you resilience, safety, and affordability in how you deliver this essential capability to our entire economy, right? Our, our economy runs on top of our energy infrastructure. And today that's fuels in the grid, but the more and more that we electrify our transportation and electrify heavy industry, the more and more that, you know, it's called the nine pillars of our national economy run on one, the more it becomes that upside down pyramid all sitting on the grid. 
And so we've said, you know, utilities, you own this tremendous responsibility. We want you to uphold the very high standards of your industry that we've always asked you to uphold. But now we want you to also change the way that you operate this highly complex system. As I said, you know, we're changing the physics of the grid, keep up, right? Which is a a big mandate. We want to reach net zero and we want you to do so. And I would say a very fast changing, challenging environment for security and for technology. These are hard challenges. And uh, I think our leaders in the power and utility space don't take them lightly. These are some of the hairiest, most compelling challenges, I would say, of our generation. The way that I look at it is nobody's going to get there alone. Nobody's going to figure this out in a silo within their own company or within their own business unit. It really is a moment to think about partnership as the way forward to bring different skill sets across different teams and different companies together so that we can have these big moments of of leap ahead innovation. And I'll share a a stat with you that sits with me a lot, Lee, which is from a data creation and data volume perspective. And I see data as a key economic asset for companies who want to lead the future. But the power and utilities industry actually produces more data than any other industry, period. Automotive comes in a close second, but power and utilities is the most data-rich industry that we have. And that should be a clue to anybody who wants to, to be in technology innovation about, you know, where, where's the puck of the future if you want to go create interesting tech that unlocks real economic value, you know, come over, the water is warm, you want to be in power and utilities. But the power <laughs> and utilities industry is rated to be uh, about ninth, and in some studies, 10th, in terms of putting that data to work to drive real operational impact, Uh, which means we lag financial services, we lag insurance, we lag health, we lag manufacturing, in putting the richness of that data to work. You know, when I say we have so many of the capabilities that we need to deliver on a decarbonized grid, We just need to move towards application and scale into the market. This is an area where I I just see tremendous opportunity to leverage asset data and edge data today to improve grid resilience and reliability and where we can really put the real-time computational capabilities of cloud, of Microsoft, of Azure to work and show up to to help create the capabilities we need to, to operate the future. You had said there were multiple flavors you wanted to talk about. So the, the technology and the solution and the data and the infrastructure from a technology perspective, I get it. That's one big area where Microsoft is making and can make a huge difference partnering with utilities. What's the other flavor you wanted to talk about? You know, what I've been talking about, that's where I get to spend my time as our worldwide power and utilities leader, sitting in our global energy industry and resources team and working with this phenomenal group of of experts and leaders that that I get to work with every day, as well as our utility partners and our ecosystem of solution partners. So that's, you know, what I've been talking about, grid decarbonization, that's where I get to spend my my days and my time. But I also wanted to share this broader perspective of Microsoft. And when I was thinking about where I wanted to lead my career next, you know, you you start to do research on, on companies and on brands and I am very, very motivated in my career to work for leaders who lead with mission and who put impact uh, really at the top of their list. And 
I, I have that in my direct leader. I will give a shout out to our CVP of, of Worldwide Energy, Daryl Willis at Microsoft. Um, but I also see that in, in Microsoft, in our leadership from the top, from Satya Nadella and our full suite of executives who have made very bold commitments around carbon and around the impact that Microsoft uh, will make in carbon. So Microsoft actually started its sustainability journey over a decade ago and set a carbon emissions goal all the way back to 2009. We also have an internal carbon fee that I, I just love this construct. Microsoft has really helped develop a model that other companies uh, look to and can leverage for you know, setting a carbon fee internally. So each business unit within Microsoft has carbon as part of their bottom line. If I travel, as I did recently, to Rome to speak at the EPRI AI Summit, there's a carbon impact to my business of that travel. And that should make me think, and it should make me change my behavior as a business leader. The same as of our different business units, whether that's in, in product or in software. I think that just shows tremendous leadership and that we're going to hold ourselves accountable uh, about our carbon footprint internally. In addition, Microsoft has been really working to decarbonize our energy footprint. Our energy footprint, the largest part of our carbon footprint is gonna come from our global data centers. And so when we've worked at reducing the carbon footprint, of course, like all large corporate buyers, the journey started out in RECs. And now we've moved towards procurement of clean energy directly. And by 2025, we will operate with 100% clean energy across our footprint. But where the goals get really interesting is when we look out to 2030 and 2050. By 2050, we have goals to remove all historic emissions since the company's founding, which leads us into the space of buying carbon credits and of getting engaged in carbon removal projects. And so that really is the vision that we have to reach our goal out into the future, but also to help be a market leader and to stimulate innovation and investment from others in carbon removal and carbon markets. By 2030, we have some very, very bold industry-leading goals that also tie directly back to the grid. We have what we call a 100-100 by zero goal, which is that we plan to be 100% carbon-free, 100% of the time zero carbon in the energy that we use for our footprint of our assets. And you know, as, as we started this conversation around smart grid, this to me is, is really a big smart grid goal. How do we go from buying energy over a big block of time, let's say a year, to making sure that we are a force for decarbonization? And carbon doesn't happen in grid controls and renewable energy production. Nobody really measures that in a year because the grid operates at 60 hertz or 50 hertz, depending on where you are in the world. And so how do we move from buying big blocks of energy to buying decarbonized energy at a specific point in time. So this is a, a shift for us around how do we track more, how do we track our investment around decarbonization, which is gonna look different in West Texas. The most carbon-free energy is going to be produced at a different time of day, potentially from a different asset mix in Texas than it will be um, in Singapore, than it would be in parts of the United Kingdom. So this is a big goal for us. We also call it 24-7 energy. How do we buy clean energy 24 hours, seven days a week aligned to when our data centers, for example, are using their peak energy as well? And how do we make sure that's decarbonized energy on that grid where that asset sits? 
We also have a goal to start getting towards carbon negative across scopes one, two, and three by 2030, and to be diesel free at our data centers. And those are big, hairy goals. Those are really challenging goals. And what do you mean by the one, two, three? Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, our scopes one and two, that's largely going to cover our campuses, our data centers, where the majority of our, our missions are going to sit. Where scope three gets to is, um, you know, your your kids using Halo at home, right? Our scope three is quite broad and it's where our customers and our products sit. And so when I am chatting with the C-suite of, of a utility and I share that goal with them, I, you know, I always want to point out we can't hit that goal without a partnership with you to decarbonize the grid. And Microsoft is not, uh, we will never compete in the power and utilities industry. I think that's important to know. We are not building our own grid infrastructure. We're not uh, selling an, an app to customers around uh, VPP or reducing their energy use. And so the, the only way that we're going to help get to those goals is through that deep partnership that I've described in grid decarbonization with the, the world's leading companies to get there. You seem very driven to make this happen. What are your personal drivers? What keeps you going? Coffee. <laughs> My wife too. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee is a very real answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate a bit. Service is really big in my family. My parents are doctors. You know, I come from the Midwest and, and service to community and service to others have just been tenants of, of how I have grown up. And so, you know, as I mentioned, this career to me is a calling. And, and part of that calling is, is service and making a positive difference in the world for today's generation, but for the future too. I, uh, I'm eight months pregnant and for years I've, I've had, you know, friends, mentors, colleagues say, well, I'm doing this for my kids. And I, I've never quite had that personal motivation before, but it's a powerful one. And uh, I totally get it. When you meet people that don't share your perspective of what's going on with the world with regards to climate change, the data, understanding the data can be tricky. How do you convince them that this is an issue we need to focus on? Being from uh, the Midwest, you know, from, from Kansas, I feel like I used to debate a lot. You know, I was a teenager and climate science was perhaps not as media forward and, and as present as it, as it has been, you know, the, the last 20 years. Um, but I, I would debate the data and I would, I would get into it and I would really want to convince people on, on the science. And so... I spent a lot of time doing that, and you know, uh, maybe I convinced one person in the in the two hundred that I had raucous debates <laughs> with. Really. So, um, I, I I was a, an award winning debater, but I don't know how many minds I, I I changed in that time. And so I've I've really taken a different tactic. I focus a lot more now in making that impact personal. You know, I I don't always talk about do you understand the science, right? I try not to get into beliefs about science, but do you understand the science? Do you have access to the science? Really, I focus more now on how is this impacting you in your life? Do you have access to energy? What's the cost of that energy? Um, this is a, a very uh, real conversation I had just getting back from, from Europe around uh, energy supply and really the crisis that they're in right now around energy supply and energy costs. Are you worried about climate change and the impacts that it's going to have in the future? 
And if climate change isn't, isn't the wording or the motivator for you, are you experiencing drought? Are you experiencing rising food prices? Are you experiencing the $7 a gallon gas that we've been having here in Southern California? I think we're at a point now where people feel the impact and they're interested in solutions. I really try to focus on meeting people where they are and being solution minded and positive about how how others can get on board and and be a part of making a positive difference. So much greater success with personal impact than with data, even though we're nerds and we like yes. the data. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I'd rather talk about the data with, with other nerds than uh, use it <laughs> exactly. as a tool to compel and convince. <laughs> yes. Can you talk about your prior background? We talked a little bit about PICE but not much else. Can you discuss how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I went to school in Washington, D.C. at American University, and I, I studied international relations, which um, I'll tell you, Lee, it's, it's an economics degree with a language requirement. Um, so the, the economics background is, is a big part of, of my perspective, but also a global point of view of you know, our energy is really, uh, energy economy is a, is a systems level problem. We don't get to fix it at the edges. We have to think about it really holistically. And policy and regulation are a huge part of the opportunity and, and sometimes the barriers to, to slowing down. It seems like a system of systems because the technology is a system, the politics around it is a system. And all of those have to also interact. I mean, that's a crazy challenge. Absolutely. And then we have uh, investors and shareholders and, and the energy markets that, that are also very much a, a part of those systems. And so, I mean, it, that right there is the story of my career. I, being a nerd, uh, am very interested in these system of systems. I have studied them. I continue to study them. And I like to take roles that put me front and center with a different part of the puzzle. So I was a consultant, uh, worked with the Department of Energy and EPA's Energy Star program, which is one of the most high impact per dollar investments that we've ever made in the U.S. So shout out to the EPA Energy Star program for um, doing the extremely foundational and important work of energy efficiency for a number of decades now. I know energy efficiency is back in because we're in a moment of energy crisis. I like to remind people it never went away. It's, it's, the, it's the most affordable, available asset that we have. We should shine a light on the, the programs that have driven it over time. So I'm, I'm very proud I got to start my career in that space. I led regulatory and, and legislative and policy teams for NGOs uh, and did a lot of market development work, working with states, utilities, uh, and the federal government on setting up markets for uh, solar, battery storage, electric vehicle charging, and EV rebates. How do we get these technologies into the hands of consumers? Uh, exactly to your point, how do we triangulate between the markets for these technologies, the regulation of, of how we want them to interact with the grid, and consumers, how do we make them customer friendly and, and really get them out the door? And that was a great series of jobs for learning and for being in the market, for meeting those challenges in different states. Um, so learned a lot. And then um, had the great privilege of working with our uh, mutual friend, Patrick Lee, and the team at PICE to help bring new technology to market, particularly focused around renewable energy 
and distributed energy integration. So across those different roles, touching the business side, the policy side, the technology side, but always around innovation, forward momentum to decarbonize the grid and ensure we're doing it in a resilient, responsible way that increases energy access. I'm very much a grid person who moves between tech and, and policy and somewhere along the way there, figured out how to get my MBA and, and added a little bit more business experience and management experience. Pardon my being a nerd here, but can you talk about any outages you had? <laughs> any, any setbacks? It sounds like a very one-way up story. No, it, it, it's had lots of uh, fun circles and, and circuitous routes. Um, I would say when I look back, all of those hard moments were phenomenal learning opportunities. And so I don't know that I think of them as setbacks um, any anymore, but I've tried jobs that haven't been my right fit. I've pushed myself at different times. I think like anybody who really loves their work and, and is passionate about their career, I've experienced burnout <laughs> at various times. Uh, I did do my MBA while working full-time, and that was a, a huge challenge, but I'm so grateful I did because I learned so much going through that. But you know, the, the biggest thing for me, Lee, is when the going gets tough and you're in a hard moment or you're in a learning moment, who do you have around you? I've been so fortunate to have this consistently in my career, but it's working with good people. You know, I do I have good people on my team. Do I have good people I can go to in my mentorship circle and my, you know, what I think of as my personal boardroom who can help me see the learning moment that I'm in or help me think about the next step? That has really helped me through any, any setback, professional or personal along the way. I really like that idea about having your personal boardroom. For me, my family and friends and great teams always get me through. Absolutely. Every time. Lee, who's in your personal boardroom? Knowing I have my wife in my corner all the time gives me so much extra energy. Knowing that my kids are happy, doing well, and are good people means that I can focus on other things. Just having parents that believe in me, brothers that believe in me, so family overall, but also wonderful friends and wonderful team members. And I don't want to forget, I've had some amazing mentors in my career that have helped steer me right in difficult situations. And I think have not always helped me to get promoted as many people might think, but have helped me to find what makes me happy in life. That's my team. That's my boardroom. And happiness is the real goal. It might take a while to find that, but that's what I thank them all for. Thank you for sharing that. No, I, I agree. It's, it's not about the next job or, or the next title. It's, am I climbing the right mountain? Am I studying for the right test? And the people who keep you honest about that over time, uh, those, those are the folks you want in that boardroom. Can you talk about the success that you're most proud of? I would say the successes that, that come to mind for me in my career are really always about achieving something hard with, with a team. I'm most proud of the, the teams that I've been able to, to lead and to build, getting to bring together you know, the, the different parts of expertise that you need to be successful. That's been a huge privilege in my career, getting to be a manager, a team builder, a group leader, 
Um, so building and, and leading high performance teams is something I'm, I'm very proud of and passionate about and want to keep doing for, for really the rest of my career. Some specific things that come to mind, you know, certainly getting to be a part of the PICE team and deliver high impact decarbonization technology into the market to get to do that at a global scale with a really lean, high performance team of passionate people under the, the leadership of, of Patrick Lee, whom I just learned so much from. Um, that was an incredible journey. And I'm so grateful to the teams at, at Sempra and the, the team at Pice for getting to go on that, on that journey and have that experience. I'm also really proud of the policies we passed and, and were a part of when I was at the Center for Sustainable Energy. Um, I got to be a part of coalitions that led to uh, a, a billion dollars in funding for solar and battery storage for affordable housing units in California. We helped pass legislation and secure funding for hundreds of millions of dollars for electric vehicle rebates and, and charging with a lot of focus around access for low and moderate income consumers. Because I, I do fundamentally believe that we can't achieve these objectives without ensuring that, that the technologies of the future and of a decarbonized grid are available to all. And so getting to be in that NGO role and really work on, on equity and access of leading technologies and of, you know, ensuring that we're prioritizing communities that have been underinvested in for resilience and for innovation, that was something uh, it's a passion in my career, and I, I've had the good fortune to to work on it for a number of years, particularly at at CSE with very very mission driven teams and people there. And you know, most recently, I'm really proud of the work that Microsoft is doing and that our teams are doing to show up as a partner in innovation. We have some some phenomenal partnerships. I'll call out too, with companies uh, including you know Schneider Electric as well as the metering company Itron. And I get to work with the leadership of both of those teams around grid innovation and the work we're doing with Schneider around prosumer and distributed energy integration uh, with utilities is, uh, is something I'm really passionate about and excited about where that's leading. And with ITRON, smart meters are potentially one of the richest sources of data in the grid. And uh, they have been tremendous leaders in thinking about how we get that data off the meter and really leverage it and use it and make it more available to enable this resilient grid that we're building. So getting to go on that journey with both those companies is, uh, is something I'm really proud of. When we put advanced meters in, and they were ITRON meters at SDG&E back in the day, there were so many uses we saw for the data, but it was difficult to use it. So I'm glad that vision is finally happening. I know a buddy of mine, David Christ, who I introduced you to, He's been all over the data for a long time, so he has great ideas about what you can do. Always very exciting to me and always very hopeful that we'll get there sometime. We will get there. You know, a big part of it is um, we've got to get the data into secure cloud environments and put it to work. Data sitting alone on a server is, is not unlocking the innovation and value that, that we, we need to drive forward. So this all sounds very positive. But meanwhile, we're going through crazy weather right now, increased weather events and the damage associated with them. I know where I live, it was hot for so long when it's supposed to get rainy and cool. That's what I bargained for. Can you talk about how you think the earth's going to do over the next 10, 20, 30 years? Being eight months pregnant, 
the uh, the only you cleverly have your zoom camera only showing your face <laughs> it's my fun reveal trick when i stand up and, and, you, and you see how uh, how round i am with this little boy but you know when i think about the future in 20 to 30 years Lee, the only thing i can think about is holy cow i'll have a 20 year old in, in 20 years and so what do i think about beyond you know the parenting journey ahead of me i do think about our changing climate I think adaptation is underappreciated in our industry today. As we file, I'll put my regulatory hat back on, but as utilities file integrated resource plans uh, that set out their capital investments over the next five and 10 years, are they thinking about where we're placing the transmission lines of, of the future and the renewable assets of the future in terms of where we're going to have high wildfire threat, in terms of where we're going to see increased heat island impact. Are we upgrading and relocating substations that are in floodplains and at risk of sea level rise? In some cases, yes. I do have the privilege of getting to work with utilities who are super forward thinking, looking at climate modeling and layering that in with their long-term resource and capital investment plans. But in many parts of the world, we're not. It's not for lack of want or desire. It's often for lack of access to that data in a model that helps them really think about that in a holistic and productive way. I feel very strongly that that actually technology needs to be a much bigger part of our planning and our investment outlook for the grid because the assets that we're placing today and that you and I as customers are investing in today, those are going to be there in the next 20 to 30 years. And are we building them in a way that's going to meet that changing climate where it is and ensure the resilience and the, the decarbonization that we want, not always. Um, and I, I think this is an area where I'm excited for Microsoft, but other technology players to, to get to show up and play a role in advanced modeling and, and using analytics to think through that really complex decision-making. It's an area that we are today building that future for the next 20 and 30 years. And I think that's a driver. That should make us all very excited. And in this moment that we have right now where policy and funding and incentives, with those coming online, technology readiness is aligned with funding. Right now, these next couple of years, we can make those big step changes that are going to have the lasting impact on the world that we need on that 20 and 30 year outlook. You mentioned looking ahead 20 years, you think about your child. Well, if they're anything like mine, I'm just going to say <laughs> they're going to really care about climate issues and they're going to be thankful that you did your part, but they're also going to be disappointed that the world is so messed up when they get there, at least if they're like mine. I wonder if this little guy growing up with a parent who uh, who is so passionate about climate and tech, if you know they're going to uh, share that passion or or want to go do something that's totally different. But uh, we'll see. I guess that's the journey of parenting. Only time will tell. Again, if they're anything like mine, you'll be very proud regardless. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Has the pandemic impacted your vision of the future for the world? I'll give the positive impact you know, that, that I've seen around the pandemic. There is, of course, much, uh, much tragedy and so many challenges with, with what we all went through and experienced. But I, I will share some enduring positive impacts that I see. You know, first, um, the ability to, you know, for hybrid work, 
you know, as I've talked about the power of innovation and partnership, hybrid work is unleashing so much more capability for people to work across companies, across silos, across teams. I sit here in my uh, office in my backyard in San Diego, California, and I get to be on calls with companies that I work closely with in France or in Brazil, in the UK, in Australia, and learn from them and share with them. You know, we used to have to, to get on a plane for a lot more meetings that, that we can now, you know, have from your home office or from my home office. And I, I do think that that unleashes more potential, more collaboration and more innovation. It's exciting. And I think we've learned that, that we can do this in a way that we didn't know we could do before. And so I, I think that's an enduring impact. I think another enduring impact is a greater awareness of our critical infrastructure, when we were in quarantine, uh, you know, here in California, our utilities still had to maintain their controls room and they still had to maintain their field teams and have people online and out in the field keeping our systems running. I think there's a greater awareness and appreciation for our critical infrastructure, for our frontline workers. And, and I include anybody who's in the utility business doing, doing frontline and, and field work in that. I think it's led to an awareness that we need to increase investment in that in that particular part of our sector in training and safety and technology tools that support our frontline workers. And I'm having many more conversations with utility leaders about how we invest in, in training, skilling, support, safety, and technology for our teams that keep this backbone that runs our economy, our grid that keeps it running than I think we were having five years ago. And, and I think that's a, a, an enduring positive impact. Is there any advice you want to share with people about how they can help mitigate climate change? Read broadly, but study and work deeply. If you want to get in this space or you want to just live your life, but know more about this space, there's so much to read and to stay up on and to learn about. And I would, I would say, come learn with us, come be a part of this journey. But for those of us that are in the sector, Going deep in an area where you really develop subject matter expertise, where you can really lean in and make an impact, I think that's where the good stuff happens. And so I'd say get underneath the big umbrella terms of sustainability and tech, get in there, get your hands on a project, get projects done. And I think that's where the, the good stuff is. I love that. Thank you. Do you have any questions for me? I am curious, you know, you're king for a day. Who do you want on Climate Champions? If you get got to hang your, your flag out and have your dream guest, who's your dream guest for this? You know, it used to be, don't laugh at me, Elon Musk. I used to look at him as making the biggest difference back when I started the show because of Tesla. He really put transportation electrification on the map. He really did it. Tremendous personal and financial risk in doing that journey. Wow. But now he's... He's a different person than I ever imagined that he was. I actually did a rap dedicated to him. Episode 51 is a seven-minute rap about Elon Musk. My daughter says I should take it down <laughs> because it's complimentary of him. That being said, right now and always, I've always wanted to interview Al Gore. When I interviewed Vint Cerf, who is the co-founder of the Internet, he talked about his relationship with Al and actually introduced me to his handler, but they said he was too busy to talk to me. So I'm bummed, but that would be, that would be my current number one for sure. 
I hope that dream can come true. I hope you can get Al Gore on here. You know, even if you had a tough conversation, I hope you could get Elon on here too and and ask him hard (laughs) questions. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Is there anything else that you want to say? Lee, I'll just say thank you so much for this opportunity. It is a delight to be in conversation with you and to listen to the conversations you host with other leaders. Pleasure to be here with you. And uh, I'll see you on, on the other side of becoming a parent. I'm excited for you. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. When you were young, you wanted to keep animals from harm and you grew up in Kansas on a farm. You saw the impact of oil pipelines. Some got rich, but some got ruined. You were studying sustainable agriculture in Cameroon. Microsoft sees the need for grid flexibility and a mission it gave her. So you talked about Microsoft's climate focus in multi-flavor. We all understand you have to have grid decarbonization and your special focus is on the need for real-time automation. If you want to solve for users usage and that's scope three, you've got to partner with the utility and make a grid that's carbon free. You used to engage in a lot of data debate, but now you've learned that personal impact life stories carry more weight. If you want to get over hurdles and live the dream, you've got to have a personal boardroom great people on your team. I know that in you're going to lean. Thank you so much, Hannah Green. I don't know how you do that. Oh, amazing. Just amazingly. Thank you. Huge congratulations to Hannah, who became a new mom on December 15th. Both mother and son are happy and healthy. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. I agree so much with Hannah when she says that this is the most exciting time to be in this transformative industry. The energy industry has the opportunity to work with champions like Hannah and global companies like Microsoft to help mitigate climate change.